Armin Greider was born in Switzerland, which is a landlocked country, but emigrated to Australia, which of course is a big island in the 1970s. And after returning to Switzerland and then back to Australia again, he now lives in Peru. Early work included uh, an apprenticeship in architecture, followed by uh, work in graphic design and advertising, teaching at art college, where he ran an illustration course. His picture book debut was a story written by Richard Tullock called Danny and the Toy Box. He then embarked on several collaborations with the writer Libby Gleason, including The Great Bear and I Am Thomas. He's also illustrated a book, Flight, written by Nadia Wheatley. More recently, though, he has fully authored his own books, which have a strong personal voice and deal with social justice issues. These include The Island, The City, Australia A to Z, The Mediterranean, and his newly published book, Diamonds. Grader's work has achieved international critical attention. He was awarded the Bologna Ragazzi Prize for The Great Bear and featured in the biannual Illustrator's uh, Exhibition of Bratislava, where he was awarded the Golden Apple in 2003. And he's been nominated for the highly prestigious Hans Christian Andersen Award in 2004. I am so thrilled today to be able to welcome into the Reading Corner, Armin Grader. Pleasure. Before we talk in detail about your work, I'm really interested to know a little bit more about how internationalism, your travel, your living in different places, how those cultures have informed both you as a person and by extension your work. Well, the start at the beginning has a lot to do with my mother who always brought me books about travel and exhibition from the local library. And this opened my mind to, uh, well, this, this broadened my horizon, right? And also it, it taught me, I wanted to travel. I wanted to see these places. And once I could, I did. I mean, when I was 16, I hitchhiked to the south of France to see the sea. And I traveled a bit around Europe. And eventually I, I got to Australia because the Australian government then was looking for immigrants. And they paid you the trip under the condition that you stayed for two years, which was the idea. But I, I stayed 40 because compared to Switzerland, Australia was very liberal. I felt that I could breathe there. You know? But yeah, I've always been interested in travel. I do a lot of it if I can, because because it, it's it's interesting to see different different people, different countries, different ways of looking at things, and yeah, it, it suits me. So flags, if if I if there's a one, I think there should only be one flag, and that's the one of the United Nations. Very interesting, and this international perspective, a perspective on the world. Um, I mentioned there some of your credits for illustration, and they are all international uh, credits. Does that bring you into contact with illustrators from around the world? And do you find that people have different 
cultural ways of expressing themselves in books for children? Well, no, I, I have very little contact with, with colleagues. If at all, it's in Italy, because I spent about half a year in, in, in Rome. But we seldom talk about, we seldom talk shop. One difference I could think of between other illustrators and myself is that most do books for children. I have never been interested in children. I'm an egoist. I have always been interested in the story that wants to be told and how to give it the best form possible. Even with Libby, the writing has shifted more and more towards more heavy subjects, no? Because it has been said that picture books, books for children deal with the world as it should be. Books for adults deal with it the way it is. And when we stopped the collaboration, then when I went back to Switzerland, I just forgot about how it should be, and I dealt with, with how it is, because that's what I'm interested in, in, in and certainly, about, and particularly about the negative aspects of how the world is. Very interesting. Um, certainly, uh, when I read your books, I would certainly read them with older children and adults, you know, university students. I certainly don't see them as being books for children although there's no reason why children shouldn't have access to them if it's appropriate I wanted to talk about your great new book Diamonds which I think Mm -hmm. can be viewed as a development of all the social justice issues that you've written about and they're at the center of your other books but I also noticed some differences Perhaps we should start by uh, telling our listeners a little bit about what Diamonds, you know, what Diamonds is about. It's a mm-hmm. critique of the diamond mining industry um, and the people that benefit from that. But it starts in a domestic setting with a woman trying on a pair of diamond earrings and her daughter, Carolina, asking, as children do, lots of questions uh, about the earrings that she's putting on. It seemed to me that this was a little bit of a departure in having a named child in the book. What was the thinking there? There are two names in there, Caroline and Winston. I wanted to use names that hint at a certain class of people. That's where it comes from. Also, no, there's three names. There's also Amina, the African domestic note. And you have this dialogue, um, which I think, because I think the words, although there aren't many in your books, the words are very important and carefully, very carefully chosen. Why start this particular story with a dialogue in this way? Well, I I am, to the contrary of Libby, with whom I've been working a lot, she is able to sort of pick a theme and then write about it. I can't do that. I don't go out and look for stories. They they come to me, and so an idea comes and sort of sets in, grabs hold, and does, turns around in my head. And I don't know what to do with it and how to tackle it. It's all very fluid. And then eventually, some some crucial thing happens. In that in the story, of, in the case of diamonds, it was the girl, and this the nightmare. For for a while, I sort of actually called the story nightmare. In, in a double sense, you know? so that 
the idea of a girl who's dreaming and the dream turns into reality and then comes back. It's certainly, this is an epiphany no, that came to me. While you're talking about the words at the end of the story, it's Amina uh, who says to the girl's mother when she comes home, obviously she's been looking after her while her mother's been out wearing her mm-hmm. diamond earrings. And uh, she says, why is Carolina crying? And the nursemaid says, uh, it was only a nightmare. Don't worry, it was only a nightmare. And I thought that choice of the word only uh, was, again, you know, how every single word counts. That's precisely the idea. I I started writing only very late because my education at school in Switzerland taught me that I could not write. That was something for very gifted, special people. So writing to me is far more difficult than drawing. And I can only write short things, but I, at the same time, I love playing with words. I sort of check them and weigh them to get the right one. So there's more thought in, in these words than, than meets the eye. Yeah. Well, I want to tell you that I think you are a, an excellent writer. <laughs> and I think every word does count and every word is powerful in what you write. And maybe the struggle has resulted in a good thing. <laughs> well, actually, when I say it's difficult, it's a struggle, but it, it's a whole thing. Writing and, and drawing to me is, is most enjoyable. And the Canadian poet Anne Carter, I think it was, she was speaking about the paradox of writing with pleasure about tragedy. And this is actually what I'm doing. And I'm picking these terrible things and then I do my, my stuff about them. And I remember in, in, in Italy once, somebody asked me, how do you sleep after working the whole day on this, this terrible thing? The thing is that once I start drawing or writing, the reality is actually receiving way at the back. What is now important, what is in the foreground is the story and how to, how to give it form, mm. which puts a great distance between the tragedy and myself at the moment. Mm. We haven't even started talking about the artwork uh, in the book yet, but I've noticed in uh, several of your books, although they might start with words, the pictures take over and words become redundant. And then the storytelling is wholly through the images. To me, illustration is actually in the service of, of the story. No? So in the ideal book, illustrated book or picture book, if you only take the words, they sort of make sense. No? If you take only the images, yes, they give you a certain impression, but it's very vague. It's only when they come together that it's all about this, the, the relation between image and text. Even when there is are no words, I mean, underneath there is a story which could be told in words, right? So this to me is crucial. Mm-hmm. And that's where occasionally I have a problem when people send me manuscripts and puts all, everything already in the words. So what do I do? If, if my image is only paraphrased, what's already written, why bother? And in that sense, maybe has been really exceptional. In The Great Bear, for instance, the words stopped in the middle of the story. Originally, she had words until the end, and I put it to her and said, look, why am I illustrating this? So she decided to throw out the words. 
which is quite rare among among writers who are very possessive of their, of their children. But together you create something oh, yes. that's greater as a result of that uh, col- true collaboration and working together. I'm interested that a couple of times you've talked about the importance of the story. Obviously, it's a picture book and there is a narrative in there. But also there are images that you look at and you look at them not as narrative, but as art, if you like. So I'm thinking, for example, in the mining scene and you've got all the miners digging the diamonds. It seems to me that you don't have to add story to everything that's going on what you're actually doing is taking a feeling from the image I just wondered whether we work too hard sometimes to add narrative to pictures and just have to let them have an effect on us it all depends on on the approach this is actually my criticism on many books that I see on on book show on, on bookshop set shows that Compared that it's I take the, the writing of the story, the text of the story, and the pictures. The pictures usually are well below the level of the text. They lack in, in believability, no? And to me, a picture has to work. So you mentioned art. I mean, I'm not particularly interested in art, but I would rather say it's it's like in writing, you have to write in a way that is believable. Now, if I if I read a book, I switch rapidly between a number of things, between the story, between how it is written and how words sound. So with the images, it should be the same. Mm. Uh, this is why I, I went for, to charcoal and, and pastel, because this allows me a certain control, which is necessary, but at the same time doesn't turn the pictures into dead, dead wood. You might call it expressionism. Something that, that comes out of in, in the writing, this would be under the text, how the text feels, not what the text says. It's this. You mentioned the, the charcoal uh, that you use. It makes some of the pictures look very physical because you can really see your hand movements. Is it very physical from your point of view? It is, it is. Yeah, because if, if I draw sort of very carefully, very timidly, this shows if I draw with strength, this comes across. It's like this is like music. You know, how somebody plays the violin, uh, depending on how they work or they attack the thing or they sort of caress it, uh, this makes a whole different, gives a whole different quality to the sound. It's the same. Does the, um, the charcoal that you work in, which obviously then creates largely monochromatic images, what does that allow you to express that maybe other media might not allow you to? I actually I would prefer to do my books in charcoal, full stop, no color because color is a problem for me. So it makes me work hard. And charcoal alone, the black and white alone, can be very expressive. It lends a, a whole a sort of a dark and somewhat heavy aspect. But this is exactly what I need for my, this is what, it, what goes very well with the theme of my story. Can I ask a, a question just about the format of diamonds? It's, uh, with its landscape format, it's different from the other more mm-hmm. portrait books that you've chosen. Uh, was it that format from the beginning? Well, almost from the beginning, because I had to sort of organise that dialogue. And in a portrait format, 
this group gets very long. So I, in landscape, I could sort of put four images on a double spread and that put to me, that would dictate the whole thing. So sometimes they're very practical uh, reasons uh, for doing something. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I know that people have talked about your work in relation to expressionist artists and several people have mentioned uh, the Norwegian artist Munk and the screen. Munk, yes. In in, uh, in the island, that's the, the woman in panic obviously comes from there. Mm-hmm. There is also another image there, the, the nightmare, where this, this monster is sitting on, on a woman asleep. That comes from firstly. Apart from that, if I should rank my heroes, which are, the first would be Goya with his black paintings, and then Daumier with his with his sarcastic wit, his acid wit, and uh, Katy Kollitz, the German lady who drew a, her theme is always very depressive, and she's very expressive, and usually charcoal. Mm. This would be the top ranking for me. And the other thing, all of these three, in a way, it's not art for art. No. It is art to say something, which mm. is which it matters to me. Mm. Would you class yourself as um, a pessimist or a realist? A pessimist. Really? Isn't the act of creating a book quite optimistic in its own right? <laughs> well... Now that you mentioned this, sometimes when I think about that, I feel like Nero's playing the violin on top of the roof and the own birds. I'm maybe even sort of a morbid interest in how in seeing the world going down the drain. A number of people have sort of said to me over time, why don't you do something positive once? It doesn't occur to me. My stories are always protests. They, they don't offer solutions. They just say, well, this is it and this should not be. Look what we are doing. However, the very act of somebody reading a book like Diamonds, seeing that tiny little diamond held in the tweezers and the scale of that compared with the scale of the human suffering, I can't but help feel that anybody who reads this book will never buy anything with a diamond in it. And that must surely be a positive outcome. Of course. But the comparison you made because this diamond, this, the size of this diamond, the size of the problem, I haven't thought of this. It hasn't occurred to me. And you're right. But I don't think that a book alone changes anything because it's only the, con- the converted who will buy it and read it and say, yes, that's really terrible. But... Uh, and this is a strange thing. When I showed the island to an Australian publisher, they said, oh, my God, you can't do this. This is not a children's story. And so it can't be done. Now, so many years later, I find that my books turn up a lot in, in classrooms mm. as teaching aids. Mm. And there, I think, yes, there a book can actually do its part to change the way of thinking of people. Yeah. It's that start of the of a dialogue that we need. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think just wanted to pick up on some of the other stories as well, the island and the Mediterranean and the city. Uh, really interested in that kind of paired back 
text that you use in the Mediterranean there are words only right at the beginning of the book before the story in a sense they're on a plain white double page spread and they just read after he had finished drowning such an interesting choice of words after he had finished drowning his body sank slowly to the bottom where the fish were waiting and those are the only words that you needed for what is essentially a circular story and it sort of elevates and I, I find that with um, others other uh, examples of your books it elevates them above a specific instance of what's happening and makes them much more universal almost allegorical I think any every book that is worth reading comes somehow from something personal of, of, of the author right the, the point of view or an experience or something like that now with the Mediterranean in Italy, I like eating fish, but frequently I would ask myself, but how many dead refugees am I eating when I eat that fish? That's where the idea started. But then this crucial moment happened when someone told me about her, her grandmother, who one day refused eating fish because she didn't want to eat uh, immigrants. Yeah? And in that moment, it clicked. I saw this drowning thing and the words sort of roughly appeared. I worked a long time on these words and when you mentioned that they had finished drowning, I wanted to show what it means drowning. But again, this, this circular story is the story almost dictated that. I suppose I wanted to ask you as well um, what you're working on next. There are actually two books. One will come out next year in Italy. It's about the environment and how it goes down the drain. Again, it, it has very few words, and they're mostly at the beginning, and the rest is just images about what we are doing to the earth, to the environment. Mm -hmm. And the other may come out the year after. It's uh, called The Journey, and it's in a fictive ocean liner with the three classes of the luxury passengers who eat, who dine with the captain, and then those further down and the, the steerage, and then the workers at the bottom. And water enters the ship, so it gradually fills up now. And it ends with the ship being sort of half submerged, and the machines are dead, there's no more electricity, so the captain invites the first-class passengers to uh, a candlelight dinner and gets the band to play uh, Rabble's Bolero to drown the, the, the screams of those who are drowning below. Another pleasant thing. <laughs> um, it's just been such a privilege and a pleasure to talk to you today, um, all the way from Peru, which is amazing. And I look forward to many deep conversations with the young people that I work with, sharing diamonds with them. Thank you so much. That was a great pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.